Hello and welcome to Mix Mix. I am your host, Michaela Davis. This is my music podcast. Uh, this episode is the beginning of a new series that I am doing um, in partnership with my other podcast, Scene Selections. Um, what is this, a crossover episode? Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> so with me today, I have my co-host from Scene Selections, Anthony McElroy! Howdy, hi, how's it going? <laughs> um, so, I decided to focus on the music of movies um, yeah. in this three-part series. So, this episode is going to be um, scores, original scores mm. for films. Um, so, we're going to be talking about scores in particular that really stood we're out to us. Them? We could, maybe. <laughs> um, we're scoring the scores. We can score the scores. Out of a score of a 1 to 10, what would you rank these scores? Right now, I, out of a 1 to 10, I'd rank this episode a 10 right now. Oh, so that's nice. There's high expectations that we have to sustain this 10 since I've <laughs> arrived. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for coming back onto the podcast. You yeah. were here for karaoke. And I, and I see you around a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so we just bump into each other all the time. Yeah, we just... We're talking about stuff constantly. Are we? <laughs> talking about music and movies sometimes. <laughs> never. We never... That's like the last thing that we ever talk we about. We save it for podcasts, you're mm-hmm. right. <laughs> no, that's not true. We talk about it constantly. So that was why it was only a natural decision to have another episode with Anthony on um, and especially crossing over with scene selections. So scene selections is our movie podcast that we do for the free to cinema. Um, Take a listen to that. If you want to hear us talk about movies, but mix mix, we talk about music. Oh yeah. So let's fully get into it. We're getting Um, into it. So what was our criteria for picking these soundtrack or not sorry i'm gonna keep doing that this whole episode (laughs) because i use those words interchangeably even though i know the difference between the two i found in my research just like looking at movies for this uh, episode uh you're not alone i think by and large in this modern era they are interchangeable whether you're saying a score or soundtrack when you basically for as for marketing terms it's a soundtrack you're selling an album it yeah. doesn't matter if it's an original score or if it's pre-existing music. But yeah, certainly my criteria was that no matter the soundtrack, uh, this one had to be from non-musical sources because we're doing a musical episode, right? Yeah, we're doing a musical episode and we're doing a soundtrack episode. Right. So I wanted to differentiate between the three of, of those things. Mm. They're very different. Yeah, um, totally. And... Score to me meant that it had to be instrumental. Oh, interesting. And created specifically for the film. That was my criteria. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of how I think of a a score versus a soundtrack. I Versus a musical, even. I think I would tend to agree, except for the instrumental part. I feel like Mm -hmm. lyrics can be part of an original score. Um, and I have a film that sort of, I think, meets that criteria. Um, but I also have a film that kind of disqualifies it, itself in that the uh, it's, it's not all original music. You know, sometimes it will um, just sort of reuse a pre-existing uh, uh, composition and reinterpret it. And I have a film that does that a lot. Um, but 
one could consider the recording itself its own piece of music because mm-hmm. it's you know interpreted and improvised on its own even though it's like based off of a pre-existing recording that the composer didn't even write yeah um but yeah for for myself too it was mainly just yeah we needed non-musical films yeah um with some original music yes other films we're gonna look at that have whole like only or mostly like original me or it pre-existing music Mm. i feel like that uh, I was also disqualifying mentally. I did I did prepare myself and read some down, That's but okay. not for this episode. Okay, cool. Um, so for this one, yeah, we can talk about some of these scores. I feel like I'm going to talk about mostly composers because okay. I think I'm coming into this from almost like a band or musical artist standpoint where mm. like I think about the artist as a whole That's and then maybe pick some songs that I like from them. Mm. So I'm kind of thinking of the composers for these films. Sure. Like that was my first instinct. That was the first thing that I thought of. That's a good instinct. I was coming at this by thinking of movies. Um, but I did realize I was, uh, uh, I did find some composers as well that were just consistently making great work. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, how, how long is your list? Do you have a formal list? I have three to four mm-hmm. um, composers for this. Um, I Because I just immediately thought of like movies that I like and, sure. and scores that have spoken to me as I'm watching a film where I'm just like, man, that's great. And they tend to be by the same people every yeah, time. I found the same. Um, so I wanted to talk about, well, I know that we both like Johnny Greenwood, so why don't we start there? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm so ready for this. I'm so ready. Um, so Johnny Greenwood, for those who don't know, Living I don't know why. Yeah. 20, 30 years. Yeah, 30 years about. Um, they, uh, there's a, if you've been living under a rock, there's a band called Radiohead. Um, and he was the guitar, is, still is, he's still with the band. Yeah, the band still exists. Yeah, um, he's the guitarist, but he's gone solo. He has solo recordings. some recordings for movies by some of our favorite directors, such as Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson. How could you not love that man? I, I, I would be surprised to, like, know that any of your listeners listening are just now discovering that Paul Thomas Anderson is a director that they should like pay attention to. Yeah. But if they aren't, I like honestly the films stand alone, but divorced from the films, the soundtracks I think are equally impressive. Mm-hmm. And all of his films. Yeah. Definitely. It's, including and especially the Johnny Greenwood soundtrack. Yeah, ones. and he's going to be coming up again in the soundtrack episode. Yes, he is. Um, but Paul Thomas Anderson is, um, not Johnny Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Um, but Johnny Greenwood, we had to talk about his original compositions for Paul Thomas Anderson's films. In particular, I mean, Phantom Thread comes most to mind recently, as right, the most recent right. one. Nominated for an Oscar. So good. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that for a second because um, that was nominated for an Oscar. He also did the score for There Will Be Blood, mm. but that was, it, I think it was nominated, favorite. but then it all of a sudden it wasn't nomina- nominated. There was kind of like a stir yeah. on the nominations and why that one did not win Best Original Score. 
That's because it was not entirely original. Yes. Um, he used, you know, for the most part, he used some original compositions for There Will Be Blood. Yeah. But there were some um, parts that he had taken from, like, another composer. And then he also had used um, one of the songs, Convergence, earlier mm-hmm. in his first solo exploration. Um, so in 2003, he made a solo album and turned it also into like a documentary. So that ended up um, soundtracking the documentary to this film called Body Song. And that was also the name of the album. And when was this? This was in 2003, 2004. Right. So So that was before There Will Be Blood, which came out in 2007. And and I don't think that that particularly is why. It was mostly because he did use some samples from other composers' right. works as part of no, the but sound, I think part of the overall score. Even that instance, though, for Body's song, that would also disqualify him mm-hmm. because it was a previously released recording, even if it's by him. Yeah. It still counts as a pre-existing music. Yeah. So, like, they're really, really strict with the Oscar nominations. Uh-huh. And so, as... As frequently as people are like, oh my god, this is an incredible soundtrack. Like mm-hmm. it should have won awards mm-hmm. um, because it is amazing. Especially that song "Convergence," which is yeah. on Body Song for that scene where the oil rigs just like explode and everything's going wrong. Deaf H W. Yeah, H W goes deaf. We see um, Daniel like carrying him on the field, and that's when we all of a sudden start to get this like oh. you you said that it was like a heartbeat. It totally sounds like a heartbeat. Um, yeah. It does. We get this like heartbeat beat. Yeah. That comes in and it's like the primal, obviously per- percussion and yeah. drumming that like gives the the scene a sense of urgency, but it also like ties into this new life created by the the flaming tower yeah which is like terrifying but also like that's that's part of i think that the cycle of life that the film's trying to depict mm-hmm. is the terrifying inevitability of life and rebirth and, and obviously flames and yeah <laughs> it's so primal yeah i think that that's a great way to to describe it it's like this very like primal sound mm-hmm. and like very Daniel is a very primal man yeah <laughs> but it also has um kind of simple I want to say simplistic like instruments like it seems like repetitious a primate or like a you know early man would play no it's simplistic I think yeah like it's just like it's almost like bones hitting rocks yeah at times or like rocks hitting each other or like a coconut you know for a a percussion instrument and they're not all on beat I think that some of them are like a little off Mm -hmm. or they all don't all go in at the same time but it still feels like you know perfectly precise and deliberate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Like one of the most perfect mm-hmm. scenes. I love that scene. I love that scene visually, and the, if that sound was not there, it would be totally different. Absolutely. Like imagine that was some sort if of like dramatic silent, right? violins or something. Well, like, we get a little violins, and I think, <laughs> and I think uh, uh, part of the 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 power of that entire uh soundtrack that entire original score is the violins but this scene of you know does switch it up a little and, and i think it's you know that's why it's such a standout mm-hmm. um but yeah there uh, uh what was i gonna say if it was silent right yeah it, it would be a totally different movie i think uh or a different scene i think it would be not as urgent and i think it would still be as maybe like powerful and and disorienting but it wouldn't be speaking to the character because I think in that scene what we're hearing 
is a little bit of Daniel Plainview in yeah. that sound, in that sort of terrifying primal sound. Yeah. We're sort of hearing not It's like just, the sound of his heartbeat that we're getting. And right. Then this, his like, excitement. Cacophony He's of realizing, all these different, yeah, emotions. Yeah. And he's realizing that he can't succeed, as mm-hmm. he says at the end of the scene. Whereas, what are you so miserable about? Yeah. We're standing under all this oil. This is a happy moment for him, even though it's not happy music. Yeah. There is life and energy in it that uh, uh, one wouldn't expect in a moment where, yeah, H.W. gets hurt and, and everyone's so in danger and peril. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that that's a great scene. Um, we also have Amethyst from... Well, I, I think while we're, on, talk about... while we're on Johnny Greenwood, we can't skip the master, right? Well, yeah, we're still on Johnny Greenwood, but I was right. saying his his score for for Inherent Vice as well. Yes, yes, but while we're on the topic, I think of like primal drumming, right? Oh, and the master. Yeah. I think just the opening where while he's still on the beach and in the navy is it is more of that. Uh, uh, if it may be in like a, a minor key, you know, it's sort of uh, uh, not speaking too. Freddie Quelled, Joaquin Phoenix's character. It's not uh, uh, supposed to play um, in parallel to him, but maybe in contrast to him. Yeah. Um, but that, that that similar rhythmic sort of pounding, mimicking uh, uh, a, a more primal existence. Yeah. Especially he, during wartime. <laughs> yeah, during wartime. And also that, yeah, that is kind of his character. He's this like primal animal who needs well, to he's, be he's like antique. contained by the master yeah. you know he's like this feral animal right. trying to be domesticated well and, and, and so, in that way right it's so yeah. unorganized yeah yeah um and yeah johnny greenwood just like it's a beautiful marriage between the two of these people oh, between yeah. paul thomas anderson and johnny greenwood um and I, yeah, I think that the master is beautiful as well in capturing that. But I want to go back to Inherent Vice. Yes, Inherent Vice. Yeah, I just wanted to say that about the master. I love the master. I know. <laughs> yeah, like all the movies that he's done with him. So he's done There Will Be Blood, Will be Blood. I think was the first one that he did. Yeah. The master, Inherent Vice, mm-hmm. Phantom Thread. Yeah. Am I missing one? No, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Those are just that's like twelve years. All I know. Out. I feel. I'm like. It feels like there. There should be more there. Um, yes. We have the song Amethyst. Yes. That I wanted to talk about. Yes, we can get back to that. And you wanted to talk about it. I I do. Yes. Yeah. So that 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 one is that it's in my playlists. It's uh, it routinely makes the rotation when I'm uh, looking for something to listen to, and I think part of. Back to back to sort of the criteria question, what I, I, my decision to highlight this, the songs and the soundtracks we're going to talk about has to do with that, the listenability outside of the film. And, yeah. and, and most of the film, all the films I'm going to talk about are ones that I have listened to without watching the film multiple times. Me too. Um, and, and have, I think, a resonance beyond the images. And, and, and that's, you know, whatever that means to you, it's something that I'm taking into consideration. Uh, for myself when I was sort of thinking about films and Amethyst is one of those tracks. By and large Inherent Vice has a lot of them um, but most of the time it's you know the, the non-original or I'm sorry the the, the non-score songs yeah. the uh, the pre-existing songs and, and and I think that I prefer those in Inherent Vice to the original compositions but Amethyst is undeniable. Yeah. For me, it, it's like this song is, is great because it, uh, it, it there's a sweetness to it that is, you know, and you need at the end of the movie, but also at the end of like 
this hard-boiled detective story uh, that has mostly been very like ominous sounding uh, uh, score until then. And, and, and also in this, I don't know if we were able to confirm this, we hear a Paul Thomas Anderson trademark, the harmonium. I think that's what we were discussing this yeah. other re-listening to the song. I'm not quite sure what instruments he's I don't using know in this, either. but it's like, yeah, I think it's a harmonium. It sounds like it. Yeah. Or then it could be a harmonica, I don't know. I don't think but, it's a harmonica. But, but it does have this guitar, yeah. for sure, and yeah. this sort of like... Ventura Boulevard singer-songwriter guitar plucking yeah. uh, that I think is like period and, and like era appropriate and uh, 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 just sort of like a good send-off for the movie for this pre-ending we'll mm-hmm. say because the movie has like two endings this moment yeah. which is like the end of the plot and then the end of Doc's story yeah I think that this moment is just like yeah, there's a lot of, like, love in it, and sure. I think that this movie kind of is a love story, like, in a weird way. Like, I wouldn't even, like, question it. Yeah, yeah, like, he clearly is still reconciling with this relationship that he had with Shasta. Mm-hmm. All the, yeah, like, I think that, um, yeah, the end of the movie here, we get to see him watch... What is his name? Koi. Koi. That's right. We get to wow. see him return. Koi. <laughs> Played by Owen Wilson. Um, we get to see him return to his family. And it's like this kind of heart. It's a reunion. Yeah. And he gets to watch that, which I think he secretly wants that. Maybe not yeah. the whole like wife and kid situation. Well, but, but like maybe? Maybe. Like he he's lonely. He's just yeah. this like loser detective guy. Yeah. So... I was listening to this again and I was thinking like it almost would work as like a wedding procedural. Oh sure. Like, yeah, that would be cute. Yeah. yeah. Like because it's got that That's... vibe to it. It's like it's kind of springy and mm-hmm. and like I said there's a lot of warmth to it. Totally. totally. Um which again like you mentioned it's very interesting for this like otherwise kind of like psych drama right. like i think like, all the scenes where he's just like sort of like spying on people yeah and it's like creepy because he's about to get found out but yeah. then this is just like un- undeniably sweet and 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 uh what's the word it's sort of like unironic like yeah. and, and i think it's, this, it's this whole sequence in the movie like when the song is playing when Koi's coming home, it's like the least sort of like sarcastic part of the movie. Yeah, it's, it, it's very played for genuine. real emotion. Yeah. And which happens a couple of times in the movie, but this moment is with the original score and not a pre existing song. Right. Yeah. I I I am so glad that you brought this song up because mm. I would have glossed over it and it's so good. So so good. But I do recommend people check out the rest of the original uh soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, in addition to obviously like the great you know, uh, pre-existing songs, yeah. the can and the Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Johnny Green would killed it again on Inherent Vice. Oh, totally. Yeah. And not enough people talk about it. No, like, I think people are talking movie. about There Will Be Blood, right? Yeah, they talk about There Will Be Blood Phantom and Phantom Thread and maybe The Master if they're into maybe. that movie. I think but... people kind of forget about The Master. <laughs> yeah, they forget about that. But I feel like they forget even more about his original work for Inherent Vice. Yeah, there's so much else. Because yeah. there's like a soundtrack to it too. We get that beautiful opening with Vitamin C by Can. So it's hard to kind of beat that tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people aren't really paying attention to the original score 
in accompanying that. I agree. The movie has so many other superlatives going as well for yeah. it, like beyond like the great music in it. It's yeah. the Thomas Pynchon adaptation. Yeah, the Walking Phoenix. So yeah, of course the music's gonna get forgotten, yeah. as I think you know, uh, uh, as tends to be when you're watching movie, it, you are supposed to forget sort mm-hmm. of the music, and it just sort of like is adding that effect to you without you realizing it hopefully um so you know it's just not surprising to me that people forget about the the, the composers yeah that's by design hopefully yeah but these ones stand out because they're like genuinely great yeah and phantom thread let's go into that oh. now oh so good you and i have a special connection to this because for my birthday you did the greatest thing ever you got us tickets to go see this scored and performed live in front of an orchestra yes <laughs> and, and yes uh, at the ace hotel yeah at the ace hotel yep. in la okay we went in that must have been 2018 2018 yeah it was literally because who else was there but johnny greenwood and paul thomas yeah Anderson. they were there because of the oscars <laughs> it was literally that way i think we were seeing it on friday mm-hmm. and the oscars were that sunday yeah because he come paul thomas anderson comes out and says We'll see what happens on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, he they were like there in town, and then so they introduced the whole thing, yep. and then went backstage, and then some orchestra not led by Johnny Greenwood. No, um, <laughs> forget that. I think they probably announced them or had materials yeah. that said their names. I for, do not know who the conductor was. I have no idea or who the performers were. <laughs> but yeah, we watched the movie with a live score, and that was one of the most beautiful. Highly recommend anyone do that for any movie that you like. Any yeah. any score, not just Phantom Thread, but although the Phantom Thread one is divine yeah um i think at this same experience could be said of any live scoring of a movie you really like cherish and a soundtrack that really matters to you yeah seeing that in person was yeah. incredible oh, yeah. yeah you uh you really get to almost like literally visualize the music in a different way and, and in addition to like the scene and appreciating the scene and the music in it a different way you're seeing it being performed by a real person i think adds another dimension to the understand the complexity of the music and or the complexity of the composition perhaps yeah um it should be noted that like obviously i'm not a musically minded person i don't know if i mentioned that on the podcast obviously that's why i have a movie podcast and not a music (laughs) podcast i did play some instruments i can play some instruments and i imagine um it is impressive I, i know for myself personally it is impressive to watch people play their instrument very well and seeing this particular arrangement of yeah. these instruments played by these in, uh, instrumentalists was uh, like, you know, it, it, it was as beautiful as watching the movie. It was another experience simultaneous to the movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was a concert and movie all in one. And I, yeah, surprised I haven't done it again. It's probably, well, I guess we have. There haven't been a lot. Yeah, there haven't <laughs> really been any that I've known of. But. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like where they have a live score with yeah. the movie. Hopefully they can bring that back. Yeah. If you're hearing footsteps in the background, our dog Peg is walking around, so please ignore that. <laughs> um, yeah, Phantom Thread, though, what a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful... Obviously the title track. Yeah. Um, House of Woodcock is House of Woodcock incredible. Is, is the one. That makes me cry. Yeah. Every time I hear it, no matter what, it's just like brings tears to my eyes because it's so astoundingly beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no, the the, the piano. There, there's a reason why like that instrument has persisted like for hundreds and yeah. hundreds of years. It's sort of it just has that quality that's so immediate. Maybe like a guitar, but not really. Yeah, uh, something about it, the sound of like a full piano chord. It like yeah, it, it, it it's a, like spiritual when it's really good. 
mm-hmm. and, and it just it's like a really nice piano <laughs> yeah yeah oh I, I can just hear it right now yeah. <laughs> um anything else about johnny greenwood before we move on to some other things that we wanted to talk about i suppose since we're on the topic of paul thomas anderson yeah. johnny greenwood also performed with uh um uh, an israeli musician yeah. ben's shy sir uh, and the Rajasthan Express, and they came together to record an album. Johnny Greenwood performed guitar on some some tracks, and all of this was documented by Paul Thomas Anderson in a documentary that he made called Janu. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an amazing documentary. I'd recommend people check that out to see more of the adventures yeah. of Paul and Johnny, but if only for the music in that as well, yeah. which is not really, I would say, because the film's a documentary, you know, and the yeah. album is on its own. It doesn't really qualify for what we're talking about. But I, it's I, worth mentioning. It, it, and I think it's adjacent to everything we're discussing and, yeah. and sort of the, the sensibilities of both Paul Thomas Anderson as a director and Johnny Greenwood as a musician. Yeah. And slash guitar specifically because he plays guitar and radio right. as well. Yeah. Which is why I think part of, <laughs> obviously, him being involved in this project. But uh, And it's great music, you know. That's another soundtrack that uh, I would have brought up here because I do listen to that music outside of watching the movie. Yeah. I, I think it is affecting and, and uh, interesting music and obviously probably very complex in ways that like I couldn't talk about. But uh, uh, watching them perform it in that film, uh, like what I was saying with the live scoring, it's like another experience separate from the music, mm-hmm. uh, which is always nice to sort of like recontextualize art in that way yeah yeah johnny greenwood is probably the one that i listen to the most outside of films is he is he the best musician is he the best guitarist of all time (laughs) i don't think so but i think that he's one of the best composers right now Mm. contemporary film film composers he's got to be in that conversation for sure yeah and that's why i wanted to talk about him yeah the reason why I wanted to talk about him kind of at the top of this show is because I think that we're going to be looking at him in a John Williams sort of way eventually, or even Danny Elfman or one of those other like yeah. really well-known film composers. Yeah. Um, he, I feel like he's young in his career, in that part of his career, um, but I definitely think that he needs to be appreciated because mm-hmm. he's done some incredible work that have elevated these movies to the next level. Absolutely. Um, I can't imagine any of these films without his contribution to them. No, no, they, uh, they wouldn't have the same effect or the same memory in people's minds, I don't mm. think. And that I think speaks more to sort of like the power of sound on the image more than uh, anything else. Um, yeah. But certainly, it, it, it is also reflective of Johnny Greenwood's abilities uh, and personality as a musician. Yeah. And also kind of tying in with um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson as well. Bring it on. So, John Bryan... The one, the only. done... Paul Thomas Anderson soundtracks too. This is just becoming the Paul Thomas Anderson hour. Oh yeah. But um, <laughs> I think he's he... only done the one. Really? Punch Drunk Love. I want to mm. say Michael Penn did the first three. Let's let's Google that right now. So Michael Penn did Boogie Nights. So it would have been Magnolia the first one that go. he did with him but i think the more significant one that we really think of is punch drunk love that's and that's I the think. one that i listen to outside of watching the film same i, I listen, I listen to that, that yeah i listen to that soundtrack um but john bryan has been in a lot of 
some of my favorite films, like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is another one that I listen to outside of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, he did the, the whole score for that film. And the way that he inserted these kind of, like... He took these snippets of sounds, like a phone call, or he had this rep- repetitive, um, like he would just have these little clips that he took, I don't know, sa- some samples from things. Mm-hmm. And the way that he would insert them underneath this like kind of classical violin uh, orchestra sound, I guess. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have the right terms for it, because again, I'm not musically, in- I'm not a musician myself, I just really like music. We just love music. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, the way that he did that for that particular soundtrack, I think was like really great Mm -hmm. for that film in particular to like get the point across, (laughs) like through sound as well. And it wasn't just like sound editing or Mm -hmm. sound mixing. It's like, this is in the score. If you go listen to it outside of it, Mm -hmm. you get those glimpses of this like exploration to memory loss through music yeah. as well. Yeah, it's part of the composition, which yeah. is which is great. That that like signifies someone who's like thinking about the, each note. <laughs> yeah. And I think that John Bryan's soundtracks or scores, I should say, um, they are almost like a character mm. in the films. Like he Certainly he adapt well. yeah, like yeah. he adapts it to the characters. Like he has this sound that is like quirky but like he's really meshing into the movie mm-hmm. like he gives these signatures to these characters where they have like their own theme songs almost right, right. Um, and they're so fitting that I think that that is what stands out to me because even in something like I Heart Huckabees I think that his score for that film as well like he has this this sound that's unique to him but then it fits so perfectly with these like kind of weird mm. out there characters in these films that he happens to score. That score is a bit different than Punch Drunk Love, for yeah. example. Yeah, and Punch Drunk Love, he also takes samples. Yeah. As well. Yeah, yeah the Popeye. <laughs> yeah, Popeye samples, I think is the most significant one. Yeah. Um, anything else about John Bryan? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't think of others beyond just those two, but those certainly... I Heart Huckabees and Punch Drunk Love and I guess Magnolia since he did Magnolia. Um, I definitely think those are are the most uh, impressive to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Punch Drunk Love. Of course, Eternal Sunshine. Um, he also did Heart 8. Oh! Well, okay. I guess he's been there from the, since the beginning. Yeah. Um, either way, uh, Heart 8 and Magnolia, the original scores are a bit more unmemorable to me than Punch Drunk Love. To me, Punch Drunk Love um, similar to the Johnny Greenwood scores, are inseparable from the images and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, 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 although certainly for me, Punch Drunk Love, what the songs that I return to are the the Waikiki song when they're on Hawaii, which is a beautiful little composition. I don't know if it's like a, an old traditional ballad that he repurposed or whatnot, or if it's an original. Um, but I love that one, and then of course I, I think the Healthy Choice um, uh, medley. I I, forget, I think it's called Healthy Choice. Yeah. Um, that sort of has a, 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 a little piano that is sent through this filter that sounds like old-fashioned and, yeah. and analog-y. And he has a great way with pianos in particular, absolutely. I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and something about the piano I think is very evocative in, yeah. in movies and images specifically. It you know, reminds you of silent movies, which are just all piano and then yeah. the image. And so th- th- there's almost a, a, 
uh, uh, a primitiveness to that as well with the piano, even though it's a happy sound. And we think of it also like an upper class, yeah. proper sounding <laughs> instrument as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, John Bryan, great, great. Yeah, and he's done, you know, some more things than Johnny Greenwood has. So he's done things like Lady Bird. I mentioned I Heart Huckabee's. He did Paranorman. He did the the score for Step Brothers. Oh, that's that's some good music. Um, Synecdoche, New York. The this future. Is 40. Yeah, the future. Marginalize the future. Yeah, which is one of my favorite. That's films. a great. I, I forgot that does have a soundtrack. Yeah, so he he has done the soundtrack for a lot of my favorite films out mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah, but did he write? Uh, 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 Android love or whatever it's called. Paranoid. Paranoid Android. <laughs> no, he did not write Paranoid Android. <laughs> Neither did Johnny Greenwood, I don't think. He's he was in the room. He was involved <laughs> he was... somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I think that's really it for Johnny Greenwood that I want to talk about. I just really like his sound. I yeah, like what yeah. he has to offer to all the films that he's been involved with. I mean, I think that there's more that I didn't mention. I feel like he will just come up on a movie and I'll be like, oh, John, John Bryan, John Bryan. okay. Yeah. Um, he's like involved in so much with music. Like he's made his own albums. Like he's been a producer for people. Like, and I think he's like, a big time, like talented musician guy. <laughs> yeah. Like Johnny Greenwood, he's sort of in that echelon now of like modern, com- like film composers that are like at the top of everyone's list when mm-hmm. they're making a movie. Got to get Johnny Greenwood, John Bryan, got to get John Williams, all the Johns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, actually, I think you're onto something there. Johns make good Yeah. Music. John. <laughs> you're out there <laughs> um yeah i i think um they're both you're right they're both two good contemporary composers mm-hmm. um so let's go on to speaking of piano speaking of piano uh yeah speaking of piano uh <laughs> i think piano is uh an instrument like uh how i was saying it has been around a while. It has a lot of different connotations, mm-hmm. but it is also connoted and and famously associated with jazz music. Yeah, and and a film that sort of like has a great synthesis of a character who likes jazz and a score that sort of undermines that admiration. La La is... Land. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How did you guess? No. I had the envelope no. from the Oscars. <laughs> No, that's going to be the next couple episodes. Oh, that's, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah save it, save it. <laughs> um, no, that's uh, got to be Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. Yes. Original score by David Shire, uh, who did it all himself, wrote all, all the music that you hear. Um, uh, and apparently, uh, I'm told, the famous hypnotic uh, main title theme uh, that I think starts and ends the film um, was written before the film existed. And oh. Francis Ford Coppola took a script to him and said, I need a score that is spare and empty, mimicking the character, yada yada, but it has to be piano. It has, we gotta have a piano in it. That was specified from the beginning for this film. And I, I think the story goes that David Shire resisted at first and was like, no, what are you gonna do a piano score for the whole film for? Why, yeah. why would it just be, we can't have a little strings and then nothing? And he was like, you know, maybe understandably frustrated by this young director. I guess 
maybe at this point, I don't know if the Godfather had even come out yet, but... So, but suffice it to say, Francis Ford Coppola was early in his career at this point, so he's being asked to do maybe something a bit more unconventional than David Shire would have liked, and they compromise with this beautiful score. I think it even wins the Oscar, or is nominated for an Oscar, but uh, he, he has this piano theme melody that uh, he had for a previous uh, production or something that just didn't come to fruition, but he had the composition, he had the tune, and it maybe it had been written the last couple, year or two. So it was fresh, and he used it for this film, and it has the same effect. It can't be the same film without this music. Yeah. It's, it feels like it was cut specifically to it. Yeah, this film actually came out right after The Godfather. Okay. Um, so, so The Godfather was already yeah. a thing, but I think, yeah, like it's an interesting turn to go from The Godfather to that film. The smaller, quieter film, yeah. less characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, the soundtrack is phenomenal too. I think it speaks for itself. And yeah. I also, I, it's actually really interesting that you brought this up after talking about John Bryan because mm. I think that in this, there's kind of these sound editing pieces when he's, sure. he's like tearing his apartment apart, looking for bugs yeah. and looking for like wires. And I feel like we get a little bit, bit of that mixed in with the score. Mm. Like we get the sense of... Oh, there's some, there's something else going on. Oh, sure, yeah, and in my memory of the film too, that uh, uh, the conversation is that there are some scenes with score that are just sweetened a little bit. I don't think it's purely piano, for example. Um, so, and, but it, yeah, it is certainly augmented by these uh, uh, bits of, uh, uh, yeah, how would you call it? like sound sampling um, of non-musical sources, uh, yeah. of just sort of like the tape spinning mm -hmm. uh, on the deck or uh, being rewound or something. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in that yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny that this movie too is about a character, like I said, that likes jazz, uh, but plays the saxophone. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, he, uh, you know, he's a recording artist himself of sorts. Just he doesn't do music, he sort of records people. Yeah. Uh, uh, which sort of has its own rhythm in, in how speech uh, plays into the film. And speech is a big linchpin in the plot of this film, how words are stressed and where the emphasis is. And in, in a sense, it's a study on like rhythm and musicality and language. Uh, and it's got this simple piano score. Yeah. to, to complement it you know it doesn't go for the big vibrant lush strings that you would normally get in sort of a, a hollywood thriller like this or like the dun 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 like the heavy brass yeah. sounding that you would normally get uh, at like the climax of the movie it's just a hypnotic gentle piano melody mm -hmm. uh, almost like a lullaby yeah uh, uh, but it, you know the movie's anything but <laughs> yeah truly truly um no i'm so glad that you brought this up it's love a this great score. score yeah, yeah. All right, let's go into another score that you've brought. Sure. Let's, let's talk about some more music. Yeah, uh, another score that's sort of been in my craw since I first saw it, really, uh, in theaters way, way back. <laughs> way back in the year 2014. <laughs> 2014. We thought we were on the up and up. Obama had just gotten reelected. <laughs> and I saw this movie. Uh-huh. Alejandro... Gonzalez Iñárritu's uh -huh. Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which is a very lengthy, <laughs> verbose title for a very talky film. Uh, but I think 
for myself and probably for some other people listening, the most memorable part of that movie is not even any of the words or the lines, but in the score, which is all instrumental. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think like all of these that we've been talking about. Most, most of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, instrumental, uh, but similar to the conversation, has a boundary on it. And it's not just simple, hey, here's the film, make whatever you want. Um, this is a, an original score uh, by Antonio Sanchez, and uh, this one sort of goes back to the There Will Be Blood uh, Oscar ruling. Mm. Birdman was similarly, uh, ex- the, original, the, the score was uh, uh, excluded from the original score category that year at the Oscars because uh, it, was, it featured some previous like, uh, compositions that Antonio Sanchez did not write. Um, but that he rather performed and reinterpreted uh, in his drum style that sort of pervades the movie. And uh, I think there's a specific type of drum that he's using that is like so distinct. Um, I'm forgetting the name, but I want to say maybe a Brazilian style of drum. Um, but his direction from In Your YouTube was to uh, use drums. Uh, only drums or as many drums as he possibly can. No strings. Um, I think, again, my memory is that there may be some piano, but no brass, yeah. no, no, obviously, trumpet, saxophone, no guitars. Um, and so it would just, again, have this primal essence to it as well, uh, this sort of simplistic uh, thing that will allow you to focus on the story, but develops um, a repetition to itself because it is one instrument, even yeah. if it's different patterns of playing. Um, but yeah, I, I think from the moment one, there's this brilliant title sequence that the movie starts with, and these drums, and the whole movie is one simulated to be one take. So in a sense, the drums are also captured in one take, yeah. uh, which is all the more impressive because again, drums like piano, it's a one-person instrument, and yet it sort of has this, this loud, overwhelming sound that could sounds like more several instruments, yeah, you know, or it could be several people playing. And I think that's what's so impressive about this because it sort of takes backstage in a, a theater company as they're putting on this Broadway show. And again, Broadway is not something that we associate, Broadway music we don't typically associate with these style of drums. And so it, we are also seeing this uh, um, this style of music sort of invading a space that it has not normally been or is not normally catered to. Um, and I think the movie Part of the, the point of it being a drum is is that subtext of uh, drums being in these sort of palaces to strings, these palaces to um, flutes and woodwinds, and, and not like uh, if it's a drum, it's like a big timpani drum. Or yeah. <laughs> but not the boom. Right, like just kind of. A it's s- not jazz. Yeah, yeah, that is a those, very jazzy. Those those big Broadway theaters would not have jazz. Before. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty jazzy yeah. soundtrack or yeah. score. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and <laughs> there needs yeah. to be a count on how many times I've <laughs> switched between the two. If you're playing at home, yeah. <laughs> take <laughs> a shot. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think, you know, similarly, yeah, maybe it suffered in that uh, it couldn't get nominated for an Oscar, but I don't think the end product, the end film, suffers as a result of the, this boundary of drums or this boundary of using uh, pre-existing songs and it's just sort of repurposing them for this uh, uh, drum arrangement. In fact, I think that's like another way to elevate not just the scene and the images, but also the music itself and sort of like paying homage to like other great music of the past is sort of making, not making it better, but sort of like making it more accessible in this 
new era. Because I think with some of the compositions, you know, were like from the early 20th century. Yeah. So they were, you know, almost 100 years old at that point. Um, still doesn't count, you know. Yeah. Still doesn't count as original uh, composition for the Oscars. But yeah, Birdman, I, I, I think is understandably divisive. It's kind of preachy about art and what have you. It works for me. But yeah. I think the score is pretty undeniable. People walk away from that movie. Wow, by the music. Hopefully. I don't think I've ever heard anyone complain. Yeah. <laughs> that music was terrible. Uh, sorry you don't <laughs> like drums. <laughs> I hate percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great example of a fantastic so score. Good. Yeah. Um, and how a score just like becomes so iconic with a movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you think of that movie, you sort of think about drums without thinking mm-hmm. about them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, truly. Um, anything else? Any other... Not about Birdman. Um, I did have a a film that I wanted to talk about because it sort of, like, bends the rules a little bit. The composer, uh, is not using unoriginal or pre-existing compositions. Um, he's, uh, he's actually doing all original compositions. But in the story of the film, there is a band that also needs music. And so the same composer of the film also writes all the music for this band. Uh, the band is something I can't pronounce. <laughs> Not because it's dirty. Uh, it might be dirty. I don't know. It's but okay. it's you called can swear on my show. Uh, the Sobafrons? Sonafrovs? Sobfernorvs? Sonofrobs. The the son Sauron Sauron Perverbs. Sauron Perverbs. Yeah. This is of course the 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 <laughs> the, the the main band of the uh, Lenny Abrahamson movie Frank, starring Michael Fassbender and um, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal Donald and Gleason. Donald Gleeson. Uh, great, great cast, and they're all sort of doing their own live singing and playing, which is impressive to watch. Um, but all the, the music that their band makes is, is written by this composer, uh, of course, composed uh, by Stephen Rennix, um, who's also composed, I think, some other movies uh, as well. He is, you know, makes, I think he's Irish or, or, or British. Um, one of those, you know. One of those. They're interchangeable. <laughs> We're going to get um, so much hate mail. Oh, God. Um, but Renix does all the compositions, the uh, you know the, the the non-diegetic music, and then of course the band's uh, new songs and all the character songs because Donald Gleason's character sort of fancies himself a songwriter. Yes. Frank is the primary songwriter of the Saranofrobs. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of see in several different character instances how a song is written and what that sort of task looks like filmically and I think this is a great movie about like the actual act of creativity and so much as like songwriting um but uh, that that it is also like reflexively written by this person for the movie um sort of about writing I think is kind of a treat too because it's really good music it's great music like I I think part of it is that you know this movie's kind of a comedy or whatnot and I think part of the joke of the comedy is that the Soranofrobs are like maybe not good or something or that their music is like bad but misunderstood it's like this like pretentious like quasi yeah. like proto 
uh, talking heads ish. Right. Like, this is for all like the post punk kids yeah. out there. Yeah. Like love noise, uh, me- noise metal, or like just like mm. art rock. Yeah. Uh, and like yeah, the sort of like experimental rock, experimental yeah. noise, and it uh, like post new wave. Yes, <laughs> and it, uh, all of those new things. wave with a U, but with heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of those things, uh, and yet it, it's sort of. At least for me, I think that the songs ultimately work. I think they are like fun and enjoyable and do satisfy an avant-garde itch, which is, I think, you know, what obviously is... That's what makes them so great. That's what makes them good, but also I think that's the best you can hope for when that's sort of what the film calls for. Like, yeah. this band needs to be good enough that they would obviously be accepted to South by Southwest, for example. Yeah. It needs to be in that echelon of, of musical performers. But at the same time, they need to be so unheard of that, like, they're still performing at bars mm-hmm. uh, where Donald Gleason's character can run into them. Yeah. Um, or, like, they don't they don't achieve this level of popularity that they may think that they will achieve. Yeah. I think it's really The Maggie Gyllenhaal character, for example, right? Like, I think she's part of the joke in, in so much as, that, like, she is supposed to be the so super self-serious one that's yeah. kind of laughable. And because she's also like kind of crazy, yeah. <laughs> and how and the lengths she'll go to sort of preserve this unit that she mm-hmm. has, uh, and of course like her relationship with Frank, which is actually kind of sweet and tender. Um, but yeah, I, I, every character I think is a little like preposterous, but the music they make I like enjoy, mm-hmm. and it's not I, I and I don't enjoy that in an ironic sense. I think it's good music. Yeah. Um, Even in the moments where they're playing it like it's supposed to be a joke. Like, mm-hmm. we see that scene in the hotel room where Frank is like, this is my most likable song. This is at South by and Southwest. Yeah, like, he plays this song that's, I guess, suppo- I guess the joke there is that it's supposed to not be likable, but it's a very... kind of likable. I like that song <laughs> Yeah, if, if the bar is whether or not it's likable, it's likable. <laughs> yeah, but maybe we're just weird. We're, we're, I don't know. Like, I feel like that know. maybe... <laughs> no, but, like, I, I mean, certainly, I like, I get Frank's, like... It, uh, enthusiasm for it and I think that's what's funny about the song is that like or I'm sorry that's what's funny about the movie is that in the songs character is revealed because of people's reactions to it which is I think is so great because you don't really see that in movies or at least when there is like a band in movies like you were you're it feels kind of like rooting for their success and you're not questioning is this good music well no what I was gonna say was that like characters reactions to a band in films is very often cringy for me because <laughs> yeah. it's usually very like trite dialogue and how they describe it. like oh you haven't heard of this band they're just like so great and like so blah blah or it's oh that band like kind of sucks and and like the movie kind of gives that band no chance so mm-hmm. yeah in a sense you do want to root for them but uh, I in Frank how the characters react to it feels believable and realistic yeah. because it's not just uh, a simple binary of oh this sucks this doesn't suck. Very often, the reaction to new songs is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. You know, yeah. you, you, you made the song. Uh, and then there's a great scene where Maggie Gyllenhaal sort of, like, steals the song from Donald Gleason while he's playing it yeah. and make it their song. So it has a lot of, like, storytelling in the songs themselves, beyond the songs themselves yeah. being great. <laughs> and to be able to create that, so from the composer's viewpoint, yeah. to be able to come into this movie and, like, create songs that feel not quite fully fledged to the point that they're able to then 
play around with them and make it sound like it's never been conceived of before. Right. I think that there's some magic to that. Right. There's a spectrum. Uh, of like new- they're just making it almost sounds like the band is making it up on the fly. But no, yeah, these are yeah. actually like composed pre determined songs. And that and that part of that is, I think, the wonderful actors and performers mm-hmm. that they got for it. Um, but I, I think, too, what's impressive is that there's a spectrum of musical talent beyond all of them and, yeah. and their characters with, I think, Donald Gleason sort of he's at the, the bottom of the totem pole, we'll say, and he sort of has to prove himself. And yet even his Donald Gleason sort of like supposedly like bad songs are still written by the guy who's writing all these good songs. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, to your point, like it, it's interesting to see this one person able to inhabit these different um styles we'll say or sort of these different songwriting perspectives from someone who's either like very uh a talented a a veteran songwriter who has this avant-garde sensibility like frank or someone who's just sort of like a little unconfident and and writing very simple harmonies like donald gleason's character yeah based on madness based on madness (laughs) based on likability yeah and then when when those merge we get frank's likable song which is Again, it's like it's likable. I like it. I but, like it. But if you just descri- try to describe it, but I also love talking heads, and I feel like it's something that David Byrne would write. Oh yeah, yeah, in, in, in lyricism, but also like in the musical production yeah. as well. It's just like so zany. Like I think the word zany was invented yeah. for that song, <laughs> <laughs> for this movie. For this movie, it's yeah. pretty zany. But this, and especially his likable song, mm-hmm. which uh, is 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 a standout on that soundtrack yeah and the fact that this is based on you know a real person and it's inspired by real real musicians but these are all things that were made specifically for this film i think that that's also really special too because yeah frank is um inspired by a real musician yeah a real person um frank sidebottom yeah um I mean, this is a completely fictional story, but still, it's like we've got some inspiration from real life people, real life musicians. Mm-hmm. We've got Daniel Daniel Johnston thrown in there as well. Yeah. Um, Captain Beefheart is also noted, um, but I think that to make this so unique, while taking inspirations from multiple people that I've yeah. listed um, throughout discussing this film, is really awesome that yeah. the that the composer was able to do that and those different skill levels like you were talking about yeah and uh two it has one of my favorite instruments in this film the theremin yes uh, uh well I, I believe is it maggie jones hall character yeah. okay yeah she, she she plays the theremin uh and and uh, it's a great song that she uses it on um but uh, i always just like to see any any chance i get someone playing the theremin on film <laughs> yeah there is a great scene in this film where they're playing around with instruments i i do really like seeing the way that the songs come together yeah and that the band plays them that sort of like collaborative atmosphere i think is like really well depicted in this movie yeah uh during their recording scenes awesome well is there anything else that you i feel like i've been talking about lots of scenes do you would you have any scenes i do i do have um another composer that i wanted to talk about yeah um carter burwell oh has done is right up there with john bryan and johnny greenwood with being a contemporary, I think, you know, I mean, he's been doing stuff since the 80s, but 
Um, it's contemporary. Contemporary enough. Uh, composer for these films. Um, he's done many. Um, I know that he did Raising Arizona. Yeah, he's a Coen Brothers. He did so, Raising yeah. Arizona. Yeah, he's done stuff with the, the Coen Brothers endlessly. Um, so he, he also did this song from the Disney film The Rookie. <laughs> which came out in 2002, which was like the prime time for my dad to take me to go see a baseball movie as a kid. I was 11. Wait, that was after 9-11. We all needed baseball stories. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Very American. Um, but I remember this. I don't remember anything from the movie. I had to look it up just you to remember. It out. Yeah, I totally blacked it out. And it's because it's a sports film and I'm not <laughs> interested in it. Even if it is a Disney movie, like who the hell is remembering the rookie nobody nobody remembers it but i remember the specific song Mm -hmm. by carter burwell of from the soundtrack from the score there and it's like this little happy flute song right there's some you know acoustic guitar thrown in there too and it's like the perfect Disney song, <laughs> but it's to this weird baseball movie. Yeah. And I'll just get the little melody in my head all the time. Yeah. Ever since I saw it, I only saw this movie once in the theaters. <laughs> and I still get that melody. 20 years later. In my head. Yeah, 20 years later. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that that's a testament to, you know, how great he is at making film scores. Yeah, he's done a ton of Coen Brothers movies. He did Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Fargo, Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men, Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar, and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And he's done three of Spike Jones films as well. So I think it's interesting that a lot of my favorite directors, like these are just happening to come from some of my favorite films mm-hmm. and my favorite directors, but I also think that they're working really well with these composers yeah. as well. The people that are making these film scores um, are just the perfect blend. Um, he Absolutely. also has made... He also did Twilight. <laughs> I feel like that's worth mentioning. That is notable. Yeah. <laughs> Which one did he do? He did Twilight and he did Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Part 2. Oh. He did the scores. The, be- the best them. one, part one. Yeah. Breakdown part one. <laughs> no, that's the worst one. No, that's oh, no, the no, one no, where she's all body one. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That is the best one. Never mind. I got him confused. Oh, before the devil knows you're dead. Yeah, Excellent. he's done a lot. And then so he also, um, yeah, the Raising Arizona theme, I feel like that one where the, like the yodeling. Fantastic. Um, he also did Anomalisa. So there's a lot of like overlap that I've noticed yeah. in the ones that are my favorite. So Charlie Kaufman did Anomalisa and he did Synecdoche, New York. Sunshine, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine, Sunshine Spots Mine. So the so two John Bryan movies and worked with Carter Burwell. Spike Jones is another one that mm-hmm. I'm gonna be talking about a little bit more in a second. And Carter Burwell did Mm-hmm. The soundtrack for, um, he did Where the Wild Things Are. He did the score for that. And that one really stands out to me, too. Um, and he also did Carol. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know you really like Carol. Yeah, that's got a great soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and, he, yeah, he's done a bunch of incredible uh, scores for movies. I think he did also um, The Born Identity. Or, no, Rudy was rejected. Um, oh, wow. So... 
yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. But yeah, again, I, well. I think there's an interesting crossover here between all of these collaborators and these musicians. Hollywood's a small town, man. I guess. I guess there's not that many great contemporary <laughs> composers. There's only out like there. the ones that we mentioned, yeah. right? There's only the two or three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know, speaking of Spike Jones, I wanted to talk about how mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands, Arcade Fire, mm-hmm. dipped their little toes in making soundtracks and scores with Is that? Go ahead. What? No, continue. <laughs> With her. Yes, I love that movie. <laughs> what I was going to ask, is that the, still the only, to date, the only soundtrack that they've done? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. They should do more. And also, that's the last movie Spike Jones has made. So, yeah, honestly. So he Spike, needs to get what are you doing? It. Beautiful soundtrack. Lovely soundtrack. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was just released this past year mm-hmm. um, to stream the score, mm-hmm. to like stream the soundtrack by Arcade Fire. Yeah. Previously, it wasn't accessible. I think you could only hear the Carano um, mm. and what's his name from Vampire Weekend? Ezra. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could only hear their moon song. Mm, right, right. Yeah, that yeah. was the one that was released. That one was played at the Oscars. Yeah, I think that was their best original yeah. song. And I want to say that Arcade Fire might have won something for this. Probably the Grammy. I'm going to look it up. It was nominated for best original score there at the is. Oscars. But I don't believe it was won. Uh, yeah, and then so the score was not officially released until... March of this year, 2021, even though the film was released in 2013. Wow, that pandemic, man. Yeah, they were like, we really need some sad-ass music to close out this pandemic. Um, And I I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah, my memory of it, too, um, almost as a precursor to their Everything Now album, Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was very electronically inflected, obviously, because of the, the story of the movie. But I remember it just feeling like more just like produced beats, like how we're yeah. talking, uh, versus the actual drum kit of a Birdman, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, and and I felt like use... there was, yeah, it was a lot more like maybe synth driven yeah. and like beats and, 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 and a, bit, a bit more subtle and mm-hmm. subdued rather than, you know, something like. Uh, Reflector. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Reflector though came out around the same time, and just super super symmetry was oh, yeah, used yeah. on the soundtrack for her, and um, was on Reflector. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of crossover there between their sounds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Reflector is very like bombastic. Yeah, and um, I mean they they took. Um, they took inspiration for that album to totally get on a different topic, but like they took inspiration for that album from like Carnival and all these like festivals oh. and um, uh, even like Mardi Gras, and, sure. like kind of these like street like performances. But then they had these like 
they had these tones to it that were from these like festivals, but then they also had some synth stuff. Like mm. it's a very experimental record. I yeah. think, for them. It's a very different sound that I think a lot of people are going to look back on and be like, wow, what an interesting record. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't quite had its time yet. Yeah. Um, but I'm also just a huge Arcade Fire fan and I sure. love everything they've done. But yeah, I think everything now we don't the, really the, get those feel that more like more concise songs you know like yeah and, and not as like what you were saying not as bombastic and baroque sounding right and maximal as reflector yeah and it's interesting that like reflector came out around the same time that they were doing Her. the movie score um because yeah i want to say they came out the same year yeah her i think was her like came by out. the end of the summer yeah, they did come out the same year. They both came out in 2013. Her was 2013, and, and Reflector came out in 2013. So they were busy. Yeah, that was a big year for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw them in there as a great, and great truly, score that I like. It's, and true, like the like the brain trust of like how many of them are in there, like like they, they can figure out a <laughs> movie like, score yeah there's like seven of like them. i'm surprised they haven't just been doing one every year with how many people are in that band <laughs> yeah um <laughs> uh, yeah i think really the brainchild is behind that i mean then we also have to give a shout out to owen pallet who was also involved he's not he's like, he's credited separately from from oh. uh, arcade fire on the, on the score, score? Okay. yeah so own palette is his own musician in his own right but then also working with you know win butler regine butler i guess although that's not her uh, stage name um karen and, yeah, Karen. <laughs> You're just listing random people yeah, that are you know, in Arcade Fire. and Travis. No. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just all these random all of them. people. Um, any other scores to think of? Give shoutouts to. I mean, oh, of course. The one that uh, I, I also thought of, too, that's kind of recent um, Nicholas Bertel's uh, Barry Jenkins's If Beale Street Could Talk. Ooh. Nicholas Bertel has also done Moonlight for Barry Jenkins, and I was moved by that film and that score as well. But If Beale Street Could Talk, I think, is like singularly like a masterwork uh, of at the very least that decade, but certainly in a while. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It is such an evocative, such a warm. Uh, uh, soundtrack and and it is it's so versatile and it's so powerful when it's employed on screen but also just as powerful when it's not there I think it's lack when the scenes don't don't have the score there's almost a lack of safety in them and and that's especially important during like the critical moments of the story like when uh, Fani is in jail um, and of course in that uh terrifying uh, scene where he gets arrested yeah. um and i noticed in that scene too what what switched from these sort of like long notes of strings that are just sort of like supposed to sound lush and warm are sort of converted into like a staccato jaws like uh uh you know uh rhythm yeah so it's just like dun 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 dun, dun. And, and and just those like little beats and notes uh uh with the strings it, it sort of happens so fluidly you don't recognize it and, and i think that that movie is so 
profound not just in its story but the music is so memorable as well and it's again like what we've been saying something i've listened to outside yeah. of the movie because it is just so affecting and um nicholas Bertel, i think is one of those sort of, i don't know if he how, how new i should say he is but uh, he feels like he's sort of just sort of come around with this film moonlight he does the excellent score for Succession, which, of course, you and I both love. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Nicholas Bertel, I think, is one of the great up-and-coming composers as well. And if Beale Street could talk, I think, if he stopped there, that would be better than most people's entire career. Wow. <laughs> it's such a powerful, words. Yeah. powerful uh, uh, album. Yeah, yeah, it's a powerful album, powerful movie. Yeah. But that, that uh, I would be remiss to not bring that. Because oh, it was one of the first ones that I thought of when... You, you brought this up, you know, obviously the Johnny Greenwoods and the John yeah. Bryans are great, but uh, I, of course, can't forget about Nicholas Bertel. Thank you for having me. This is so fun to do. I yeah. like being able to talk about music when I can. Uh, apparently, I like doing podcasts now. Um, <laughs> uh, if you, anyone listening, if you liked sort of what we were doing here, we do a lot of this at the movie podcast. Yeah. So I would urge you, if you enjoyed this conversation and you want to hear more stuff like this, Check out KTFC's scene selections. Go to thefreedacinema.org and uh, look for the KTFC radio page and you will see all 20... We're about to release our 20th... Or 19th episode, I'm sorry. We're about to record our 20th episode. Almost. Uh, but we're about to drop the 19th episode all about musicals, which... You know, kind of, I think, uh, listeners might be interested yeah. in. <laughs> That's why we're doing this crossover episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we did just drop an episode about adaptations and adapted films. So if you are interested in that, go check it out. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to listen to more movie podcasts, I would highly recommend checking out Scene Selections. Um, uh, if you're looking for good movies to watch, check out The Frida Cinema, the Orange County's only art house cinema. Um uh, please support them. Come check them out. They have their big Soviet September coming up, so they're playing all sorts of uh, Russian movies. So if you like that, go to thefreedacinema.org, buy a ticket. Well, thank you so much for joining me Any on day. this episode. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, you will be back. I will be back. Yeah, you're going to be back for our next episode, which is about soundtracks. Ooh. So that one's going to be a lot of fun because it's kind of like, you know, a, a mixed tape from your favorite movies. Like a playlist, yeah. Yeah, a play yeah. <laughs> to bring it up to modern terms. So I was say, what's a mixtape? Uh-huh, like, did you uh-huh. just have a stroke when sure. you tried to say playlist? <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you for joining me. Anytime. I mean, you didn't really have much of a choice because, I mean, this is also your studio. Yeah, yeah. For... <laughs> I, I feel like any if I, if I was outside of the room, I would have appeared on the show by proxy. In some way, In yeah. Some way. Yeah. Um, so we'll... I was going to say we'll see you next time, but this is not a visual podcast. Um, so... <laughs> it's not? No. Well, why did I do my makeup? <laughs> I don't know. I was going to, I was just thinking that you wanted to look cute. I have no idea. But thanks everybody for listening, and we will be back soon with another episode um, talking all about music and movies. So stay tuned for that. And this has been Mix Mix with your host, Michaela Davis. Joining me again is Anthony McElroy. Thank you so much. And bye. Bye.